Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Political State Podcast from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder with the Oklahoman's Watchdog Desk. Today is Thursday. It's about uh, 11 o'clock on November 9th. I say that because, as has been the case the last few weeks, things are subject to change, especially at the state capitol right now. Um, although joining me in this first segment is the Oklahoman's capital reporter, Dale Denwalt, and he'll tell us whether or not we should expect much to change um, as the House has another uh, big vote yesterday on Wednesday right. uh, for a series of tax increases to fund to to plug a major budget hole. It would also fund some some pay raises for teacher and, and state employees. Um, that vote came short. Uh, the majority of House members voted in favor, but because of that three fourth threshold that's necessary in Oklahoma to raise taxes, uh, we were short by about what five votes? Five votes. They and, were very close. And so, I, I mean, was this? I don't know if it was expected or not because I think a lot of people didn't know what was going to happen, but there mm-hmm. was some thought that maybe the legislature, the House, which was crucial in this vote process, the Senate had already said that they would support this, that uh, it was crucial. It all came down to the House. I, I think there was a lot of optimism, a lot of groups, a lot of uh, groups mm-hmm. that represent state agencies, education advocates. A lot of people were very um, optimistic or hopeful. Um, and I, I don't know that it was shocking that it failed because we've seen, you know, mm-hmm. how, how much of a hurdle this is. Um, but there was a little bit of a shock yesterday at the Capitol. Well, you know, everybody was expecting that this vote would hinge on the support of Democrats who in the past have uh, baited together really to oppose any kind of tax increase uh, proposed by the uh, Republican leadership. But when the vote tally came in, it was certainly clear that actually this time it was the Republicans. Um, there were uh, uh, something like 22 Democrats on, on board, uh, or tw- maybe 23 Democrats on board. Most, most of the Democrats voted for this bill, uh, something like 80 percent. Um, and uh, however, uh, there were um, a lot more negative uh, Republican votes. And so as it turned out, um, there were five Republican, five Democrats voting against the bill, 22 Republicans voting against the bill, uh, and that made everything five votes short. Yeah. Well, and some people, maybe some Republicans are going to say, you just said it, five Democrats voted against it. They could have carried this across the goal line if all five would have gone. Yeah. But I think what kind of – uh, you know, what we have to focus on is um, there was an appeal from the, the speaker, uh, Speaker McCall, to say to Democrats, listen, get three-fourths of your caucus together. Yep. I'll bring three-fourths of my caucus to the table and we'll get this thing through. The Democrats delivered uh, – it was the Republicans at, at least based on um, on McCall's kind of you know promise, so to speak, or our goal that, that yep. fell short. Yeah, and, and it might be important to know that, you know, that, that specifically has been on other – um, other measures in the past, uh, the, the Republicans have always said that they could not get uh, um, their members to support or enough of their members to support a four percent gross production tax, which is what this bill did um, for it to pass. You know, they they put it on the floor. I think everybody had their fingers crossed, um, and uh, you know the the. 
the more conservative and uh, members of the Republican Party in the House and, and those who definitely don't want to see higher taxes on oil and gas um, uh, banded together. They were the coalition really that stopped this bill. Yeah, I think it was really interesting, especially when you were uh, watching the floor debate yesterday, uh, which thankfully did not turn out to be the three-hour yeah. fest that some <laughs> originally had wanted. I mean, you were you were in the gallery watching that. I remember from the newsroom watching the request for an hour and a half for each side, thinking, "Oh my goodness, like let's <laughs> let's just get to the vote." But there, right. so there's a little bit of debate. But it was interesting watching it. Is you had Democrats who said they were going to vote for this, even though it was a painful decision to make. Mm, right. and a lot of them are looking at the fact that this they, they feel like this is not everything that they want. Wanted one, um, but two, uh, you know, there's a feeling that it it does kind of hurt maybe some of your low income Oklahomans a little bit more than others. And the flip side, there were Republicans who said they were going to vote for it and that this was a very tough vote, um, probably mainly because of the increase on oil and gas. So there were mm-hmm. some that coming into this special session, especially some Republicans, that were no votes that were that were flipped, that were changed, yeah. that went along with this. Absolutely. Stuck yeah. their necks out of this. Somebody, somebody like uh, maybe Josh Cockroft who, yeah. who literally pulled his district and said, how do you want me to vote? You know, how do you think I should go on this? You know, I think there were a lot of uh, representatives uh, who, who asked their constituency how they should vote. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, if, if their constituency said, no, don't increase you know, taxes uh, for, for these agencies, I think that's how they voted. Yeah. And, and, and then people say, hey, lawmakers should always be voting how their constituents want. Um, it kind of varies on how much they do and also mm-hmm. varies on how much input or, or opinion constituents are sharing with lawmakers. But it's mm-hmm. interesting. You talk about Cockroft and some others. There were several Republicans that said, listen, I want to vote against it. But so many of my voters, Republican voters, are telling me this is an important vote to, mm-hmm. to vote in the affirmative. And, yeah. and that was their reason. Well, you have to look at the consequences. I think uh, uh, the, the people who uh, who asked their the, the, the Republicans who asked their Republican legislators to vote for this, uh, they probably see you know the, the consequences as as dire for these agencies. Um, you know, the, a couple of weeks ago, the state asked these agencies to submit revised budgets um, uh, that include the the loss of two hundred fifteen million dollars. They said you can't; this money is not coming in. You have to revise your budgets accordingly. And you know, we're talking about the health care authority which uh, oversees uh, Medicare, Medicaid, the Sooner Care. And you're talking about the Department of Human Services um, and the, uh, the Department of Mental Health. And these are very – these are agencies that have a critical mission um, for the health and well-being of uh, Oklahoma. And you know, I think a lot of people saw that you know, if, if they have to cut back funding uh, about $70 million each – then um, uh, over the next eight months, then it's going to be a pretty dire situation for them. Um, now, what we haven't seen from the legislature is any any kind of direction on on how these agencies should should proceed. Um, the you know we don't have any kind of uh, reconciliation bill, so to speak, to borrow a term from Congress. We don't have any uh, direction on how to on, on whether the legislature is going to reappropriate money to spread the cuts around. Um, the House leadership have said, you know, we're not going to let the we're not going to let uh, these agencies and programs uh, fail. Um, you know, there there will be money coming, but realistically, I have to look this look as realistically as a reporter if I'm going to you know write yeah. uh, write words <laughs> that people read uh, is that I, I I personally and professionally I don't see any proposal out there um, that can uh, that can save these agencies um, from having to cut. Um, I, I, I don't know if the House leadership are being optimistic. Um, 
but you know, if I, I think certainly these agencies and the people who rely on them uh, would like to know from the legislature, if you say that you know, don't worry, yeah. uh, you know, give me a reason not to. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about the political implications, but let's stick with for a moment on just kind of what the immediate future is going to look like. Yeah. Um, so first off. Are, are you expecting that there's going to be another vote or is, is House leadership ready to move on? I mean, what are you expecting to see today, Thursday and tomorrow? Friday? Well, I, you know, honestly, I wish I could tell you what to expect. Um, the, I can tell you the options. Uh, they, they captured the bill, which means that they can, they can bring it up for a revote. Uh, they would have to convince five um, representatives to change, who voted no to change their mind uh, in order to get it passed. Um, uh, and really that's uh, as far as uh, – New recurring revenue—that's pretty much it. Um, uh, th- there is a measure sitting in the Senate that would raise gross production taxes on these legacy wells, the older wells, uh, that would bring in several million dollars, but not enough to fill a shortfall. Um, and it would only—it's not necessarily recurring revenue because that tax rate is supposed to go up uh, in the next year or so on these wells as they sort of reach a, a benchmark level of age. Um, and and and. So I, I don't know that you would consider that recurring revenue. It would be it would be pretty much just for this uh, budget shortfall. Yeah. Um, the um, the House has sent over to the Senate uh, a number of bills that use sort of leftover cash from last year um, and to fill the budget shortfall. The Senate has said that they don't want to do that because we've got you know the scandal at the health department that uh, they need thirty million dollars this budget year. And uh, there could be others, they say, uh, that uh, some lawmakers say there could be other emergencies that could come up that uh, they need to use that about $80 million for. So the, the Senate is very hesitant to spend that money. Yeah. You mentioned what's going on at the health department. I want to talk about that a little bit. Although in uh, in part two of today's podcast, uh, I'm going to be uh, joined by uh, Brianna Bailey, a reporter with the Oklahoma's Watchdog Desk, who's been covering this. You've done some coverage, too, as well on uh, some of the – the financial crisis that the Department of Health is facing. But I want to ask you, uh, you know, Brianna gets into the, the kind of the nuts and bolts of what has happened, uh, which is essentially that the health department has said we are yeah, – missing might not be the right word, but we're about $30 million short because yeah. of some budget tricks that we've not necessarily known about over the last few years mm-hmm. where it appears that we have more money than we do. How much of a – do you think that had any impact on – on the vote this week because there were a lot of – there were a few Republican members that used that as yeah. a poster child to say, listen, you continue to ask us to raise taxes and this is a prime example of what we've always been saying, that there is at least – at the very least, wasteful spending with these state agencies and at the most, there's corruption that we mm-hmm. need to get behind. How much do you think that impacted the vote? I don't, I don't know if it impacted it very much but it certainly gave a good argument. Um, it, it may have bolstered someone's uh, you know, wavering opinion uh, to bring them back to the no side. Um, certainly, you know, if if, if your if your number one concern is is waste and, and mismanagement in government, and you think that's where the you know that's where you can find money, yeah, that's that's where you're going to go on a vote like that. Um, and you know, Representative Kevin Calvey gave a very passionate speech about um, uh, the fact that you know giving giving more money to agencies when you haven't audited audited them uh, really covers up corruption and. Uh, you know, that, that seems to be a somewhat persu- persuasive argument uh, for conservative Republicans. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, it was the last week or two, whenever it was ago, that uh, Representative John Bennett made headlines once again for a statement that, yeah. that you know, calling state agencies uh, terrorists, essentially. He kind of walked that back a little bit. Um, <laughs> and he was but, not on the floor at all yeah. yesterday. You know, I, I don't know how – I don't – I think there would be very few that would be willing to go as far as, as labeling state agencies as terrorism organizations. But, I mean, there is a sizable number, I mean, at least a handful at the very least uh, of Republican members um, that are very deeply skeptical of these state agencies that ran on the platform of saying, you know, we should be distrustful of government, that there is wasteful spending, that there is corruption. And uh, like I said, I don't know how many votes that actually sway, but it definitely emboldened that message and mm-hmm. is a good reminder that there are some members that – um, they see cuts as a good thing. That's what they ran on. We see, there's yeah. some candidates running for governor right now that are saying we don't right. need to raise taxes. We actually need to cut spending more, and that's that's the way that we're going to get out of this crisis. And so mm-hmm. there are some deep uh, political philosophical differences uh, with members. And I, you know, I was talking to some leaders this morning at some other agencies that were saying, you know, hey, there's members of the House they want to see this burned down. I mean, that's how, that's how they see mm-hmm. the, the solution to fixing their, what they see as the problems of government is to yeah. let it burn down. Now, other, now, I think most would argue that, that that maybe is an irresponsible take. I'm not painting the whole legislature as that. But there are some deep philosophical differences mm-hmm. uh, with, with certain members. So going forward, you, know, you say, you know, without raising new revenue, there's not really a way out of this. At what point – I know the, the quick answer is we don't know. But at what point do you think leadership says, hey, cuts are going to be the reality. Let's now decide – how we want to distribute those cuts. Because we kind of expect that if that's the case, they're not going to put it all on the backs of these five agencies, that they're probably mm-hmm. going to spread it around. Yeah. the I, I don't know where that point is for uh, the House Republican leadership. Um, I, I, my best guess is that when it becomes apparent that uh, these services are going to have to be cut. Now, DHS has already told thousands of people that, that the Advantage Waiver Program is going to shut down. And... Uh, the the response to that certainly has been um, one of uh, people are horrified. Pe- mm-hmm. People are literally scared to death, uh, or they're scared that they're going to die uh, if they lose the advantage waiver. Uh, I, I spoke to someone in the hall of the Capitol who was just begging for someone to listen to her, um, who said that you know she she relies on on someone to uh, to help her get out of bed each morning, put on clothes, wash her clothes. Um, get her into the bathtub, feed her, take her places. You know, she relies on someone like that to live. Without the Advantage Waiver Program, um, she would have to go into uh, a nursing home or skilled nursing facility um, or, you know, hope that she has a family member who can take care of all the things that the state pays someone else to do. Um, And obviously without that program, you know, that person who takes care of her is going to be out of a job. And um, she's she's going to have to find some other way to uh, to live, and, and so I, you know that when the letter went out, it really uh, it really scared a lot of people. Uh, but what it also did is a lot of legislators were upset at DHS um, and called it scare tactics. Um, and you know that's where the the John Bennett quote about you know the, the this is terrorism. Um, that that's where that quote came came from. Yeah. Although, you know, and, and that's what we've, that's, you know, we've heard so much of that, you know, this special session now that's been going on for, what, six weeks now or five mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, 
You know, I mean, this whole debate has centered a largely on, you know, raising taxes on oil and gas production. Right. Um, you know, these oil and gas organizations have said, listen, you're going to cost us jobs. Mm-hmm. You're going to cost us jobs. I mean, that, you know, they've been throwing that out there. And I think some Democrats would tell you that that, you know, that's scare tactics. That's, you know, that's oil and gas. That's the energy sector, sure. you know, acting like terrorists. I don't No one has said that, but, uh, you know, in, in the words of, of Bennett. Um, and you, but you have these state agencies that are saying, "Listen, there's some real dire consequences that are that are going to that are going to come from this." Um, and if you're a no vote on this, it does make your job harder, right? I mean, you don't. You're probably getting, you know, Bennett's probably getting calls from people that are saying, "Listen, you know, these state agencies are saying that you know my life is going to be drastically changed if you don't vote for this." Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's talk about this vote and what it means politically moving forward, especially if. An alternative isn't com- doesn't come, or we don't see a revote. I think it's important to note that they didn't hold it open very long yesterday. I mean, they could have held it longer. Yeah, it was open about an hour. And so, you may say, "Okay, hey, five votes. It's not very many to flip." But they there was it was apparent, pretty obvious, or, or pretty quickly that they weren't going to flip them. Right. They closed the vote. So they, you know, so assuming that there isn't a, another vote taken, and you know, we are going down the road of cuts. Um, how much of an how much of an impact do you think? yesterday's vote, Wednesday's vote is going to have on next year's election? Because I kind of envision this as one where you're going to see a lot of lawmakers running for re-election who are mm-hmm. going to be asked how they voted on this issue. Maybe yeah. more so than any other uh, vote we've seen cast by the legislature, mm-hmm. at least in recent history. Yeah, it's 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 uh, I called I think in, in my story yesterday I called it a landmark vote, um, and and that's exactly what it was. You know this 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 really did feel like sort of the le- last best option. There 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 really isn't anything on the table, um, and, and and it seemed like uh, everything kind of funneled into the vote on this bill. You know these are measures that we've seen before. You know mm-hmm. th- these are none of this was unfamiliar. Um, to people who follow the legislature. Uh, but the fact that it was all in one bill and the fact that the governor and the Senate had indicated their support, the Senate even passed an identical bill a couple of days ago. And uh, it all came down to uh, to the House where Democrats finally seemed to be wavering a bit on uh, on opposing, you know, the this sort of gross production tax compromise where it was less than 5%. And, uh, and there was a lot of optimism uh, in the room, in the building. Uh, yesterday, uh, for uh, for uh, some kind of hope that maybe this is it, maybe this is the one, um, and bouncing off of that, um, uh, that that I think really underscores how important of a vote this is in the context of a legislative career. Um, you know, you've there certainly will be people asking. You know, obviously, depending on what the outcome is, what the ultimate outcome of all of this is. There will be people asking over the next uh, 18 months, uh, how did you vote on that and why? Yeah. I mean another vote on this issue this week or next week or, or depending on what happens in the session in 2018 obviously can impact the conversation centered on an mm-hmm. election, which is a year away. Yeah. You know, we're still a year well, away. You, you, can, you can always you know, uh, go back to a vote, put it on a mailer and say, look at this person who voted yeah. to raise taxes. But I mean I expect we'll probably see some of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely think it will be part of these um, campaign conversations, these election conversations over yeah. the next few months at least. I think what's going to be really interesting for me is to look at a lot of these kind of purplish districts mm-hmm. um, where – uh, a Republican or Democrat has has maybe had success recently, but maybe within that kind of five to seven point range where it seems like it might be up for grabs. I definitely think you saw 
some pretty uh, partisan districts and their representatives uh, vote safely. I mean, the Democrats have voted against it. I know at least a few of them were kind of represent Northeast Oklahoma City, very progressive. Very, yep. you know, I, I don't think they are under you know fear that their vote is going to cost them. On the flip side, I think you've seen some pretty conservative areas of the state where their representatives were were firmly in the no camp. Right. It'll be interesting to see where that, um, you know, in some of those kind of more moderate districts, how this. How this vote were uh, um, I mean, you know, Calvi, uh, you know, is an Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. you know, representative. Right. Um, rural, rural Northwest. And, uh, you know, and I think it'll be interesting to look in some of those places where someone has been pretty vocal about their support or opposition to see if they get any, any backlash from the other side on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, certainly look out for people who are upset at these lawmakers and want to run against them in a primary. Yeah, because we have seen, you know, and we really got into this, and I don't know that we'll have time to, but we have another series of special elections on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, three legislative seats um, that are currently vacant will be filled, uh, including Senate District 45 here in Oklahoma City, Kyle Loveless's old seat that he resigned this summer. Um, you know, that seems to be a, a safe Republican seat, although it's we have to point out Loveless has won election without being – contested in the general mm-hmm. the last two times. So we really don't have any recent data. Uh, but there's a Republican and a Democrat. It'll be interesting to see. Um, That's right next door to a Senate seat that, that the yeah. Republicans just lost. This is one that if Democrats win, it'll be the biggest feather in their cap, I think, yeah. uh, this summer. Um, but we've seen these these special elections over the summer where when you talk to political observers on both sides of the aisle, have said, hey, the Democrat success has come from the frustration people have with the legislature. And that and that is the main the main issue. The, I don't. Know, did you see the the Washington Post had a story this week on some of the uh, special yeah. election success of the Democrats, and kind of focused on uh, Jacob Rosecrans, who won the uh, Norman area seat that was uh, previously held by Scott Martin, Republican mm-hmm. Martin, who who resigned this this year to take another job. And uh, two things I really liked about the story: one, they got a great photo of him like doing his hair in, <laughs> in the mirror. I mean, I just I don't know that was a. Um, he has really, great hair. He has great hair. It's a strength of his that he realizes and he really puts it forward. Um, <laughs> he talked about his hair in the story. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a cool factor that you don't always see, mm-hmm. you know, with representatives or members of the, of the legislature. But the second thing was I thought they did a pretty decent job of, of dissecting the political shift more so than some other national outlets we've seen. I think it's been really easy for some people to say, even this week we saw Democrats saying, hey, the success we had this week in Virginia and some other places, and look at Oklahoma, there's a revolt against Trump. I've never no. thought that the special elections have been won by Democrats had anything to do with Trump. Um, what I And I haven't heard anybody really say that. And the Washington Post story basically said that Rosencrantz and others have won and for the same reason that Trump won. It was a political outsider. People are frustrated with the system, and they want to see somebody different. Um, and I think that's uh, I, th- I think that was an accurate uh, recap of what we've seen in Oklahoma. And so it will be interesting to see in some of these races. I th- these ones seem to be a lot more partisan than we've seen. Mm-hmm. So I'm not expecting, you know, they it may fall along the, the typical party lines. Um, I think Republicans have an advantage, but you know it'll be interesting to see that Senate District 45 race that includes uh, most of Mustang, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about a deeply conservative district. How frustrated some, are some of more? Yeah, some of more. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how Democrats do there. But I do think that this is a vote that you're you're likely to see it on some campaign flyers. You're likely to see it brought up. But always, as we always say, there's a primary before there's a general, and you know, for some Republicans seeking re-election um, that maybe voted for this. Yeah. I wonder, if, are they going to take shots from the right? 
Are they going to draw a primary <laughs> opponent who's going to say, I would have voted no? Well, and, and you have to ask yourself, you, saw, you said uh, when they run for re-election, uh, the question is if they run for re-election. The, 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 it's a staggering amount of people who have simply dropped out, who have simply just quit the legislature yeah. uh, for whatever reason. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of people who haven't yet reached term limits who decide, you know, I'm done with this. That's a great point and I think that's something to watch because you're right. We have seen a lot of lawmakers that have left the legislature over the last several months. Some have resigned to just take another job. Mm. Some have done have left because of self-destructive, <laughs> you know, yeah. performances um, by their own doing, scandals and whatever. Um, but there has been a desire for many to leave the legislature and to not wait um, until their term is up. There are probably if that's the if since we know that's the case, it's, you're probably right. It's likely that there are many. They're like, you know what, I'm going to be. You know, my term will come up next year. I could run for re-election, but I'm just gonna, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna run the clock out. Mm-hmm. I, I think as we get closer to um, to the deadline for, and and you know, lawmakers they should be raising money now for their primary. You know, that's yeah. that's a lot of what the summer and fall is for is raising money for your next election. Um, you know, there there are probably a lot of them right now taking a look and, and seeing, you know, do I really want to have this job next year? Yeah. There's, there probably isn't there, – there are not many lawmakers over the last six weeks that have um, been convinced more than, than that, that they want this job. Yeah. I mean this has not been a period where you're like, you know what? This is why I love this job, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think so. You know, I was talking to one legislator and, and I said, uh, you know, are you, are you coming back? And he, he – he, he's very fr- – he's in a position where he's very frustrated by what's going on. And, and – uh, uh, you know, he said that that yeah, he's he's not going anywhere. Uh, he's in a he's in a safe seat. Um, but you know, you you really got to look at you know these uh, certainly people who um, uh, who could be challenged in the primary or who, who could even fa- face a, a real hard challenge in the uh, in the uh, general election. You know, do they do they want to have this battle inside the Capitol building? Uh, uh, for the next uh, for the next year, mm-hmm. which is 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 almost guaranteed if they don't find any new revenue. Yeah, and then leave the Capitol building, go home, and then have to explain yourself and explain the votes of your colleagues to people who you're trying to get a vote of. You yeah, know, that's if if you're you know it's I'm sure it's very easy to get tired of that. Yeah, well, and it's and as you said, this is a prime time of the year to be fundraising. Yeah, um, you know, some to knock doors, especially before it gets too cold. Um, you know, some of these candidates who have drawn an opponent, they've got the time right now to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're in the legislature, you're, you know, you're stuck at the Capitol, um, you know, waiting to <laughs> <laughs> waiting for votes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be very fascinating to watch. And I, I do think that the impact of yesterday's vote is going to have ripples, you know, in, in the elections. Um, you know, I'm not sure which way. I mean, I, I don't. Nec- I'm not necessarily convinced that it'll be. There's probably some Democrats are saying, "See, this is going to give us the advantage that we need. It's going to give us momentum." But mm-hmm. I'm sure there are lots of Republicans that are thinking that uh, that this will also give them an advantage or some some uh, momentum going into those primaries. That's right. Anyway. I mean, it's interesting to see. I mean, we talk about the governor's election. I mean, most of the governor candidates for Republican um, are strongly against raising taxes. Right. Lamb is. Richardson is. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, Jones has talked about you know that he would raise the gross production tax, mm-hmm. um, but that's a rarity. Most are, you know, most are still strongly against uh, raising taxes, and probably because they feel like that's still the the right strategy to take going into a primary. 
Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, in the, in the next segment, we're going to take a quick break, but in the next segment, I'm going to be joined by uh, the Oklahoman's Brianna Bailey, who's going to talk a little bit about just the nuts and bolts of what we've seen with the financial crisis at the at the Department of Health. But I definitely think that that, that, that crisis has had somewhat of an impact, or at least it emboldened yep. some members of the legislature to take a more skeptical eye towards state agencies. Um, but uh, I guess, Dale, you're back up at the Capitol today, just waiting to see what happens. Yeah, just waiting on a call. You know, they've they said that the JCAB meeting, the Joint Committee on Appropriations and Budget, is uh, going to meet at the call of the chair, which can mean uh, at any time or never. Yeah. Well, we 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 have. It's been common in the past, especially recently. We've taped an episode. Things have changed. So if things change, just check out newsok.com. And, uh, yeah, follow me uh, on Twitter at Denwalt. We know you'll have, have the latest on that. So, well, that's going to do it for this first segment of the Political State Podcast. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it'll be me and Brianna, Brianna and I, uh, discussing the uh, financial crisis at the Department of Health and some of its um, implications moving forward for that important state agency. You're listening to the Political State Podcast from The Oklahoman. Back to the Political State Podcast from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder, and joining me in the second segment is the Oklahoman's Brianna Bailey, uh, Oklahoman's watchdog reporter. And Brianna, welcome to the studio. Hi, thanks for having me. Your first time on the Political State Podcast, right? It is. All right, well, let's get to it. Um, I'm interested in talking to you. You've been doing a series of, re- of articles and some reporting over the last couple of weeks on the Oklahoma State Department of Health, um, which in an article a couple of days ago, you said employed a series of, inca- of accounting tricks to provide the illusion of a balanced budget. Um, it seems like there's a lot, lot going wrong over at that state agency. Um, take us back a couple of weeks um, from the beginning and uh, kind of how we got to where we're at today. So um, uh, the Oklahoma State Department of Health, they're, they're, a, they're a huge state agency. They have over 2,000 employees, and they basically regulate everything from uh, restaurant inspections to um, licenses for, like, uh, tattoo artists. I mean, anything that you can imagine relating to public health has something to do with the State Department of Health. And they get a lot of federal funding for their uh, programs. And, um, you know, Oklahoma is in a, a state budget crisis as you know, if you've been following the news, you know about. And a few weeks ago, the health department, which gets most of its money not from the state but from the federal government, started announcing some pretty shocking and alarming budget cuts. In the middle of the year, they said they were going to lay off over 200 people. They were going to uh, start furloughing their employees like you know, you have a day off in the middle of the week. You just have to take off without pay. Um, they were cutting all of these programs. Like there was some child abuse prevention program they announced they were going to cut. And it was puzzling to, you know, people in state government that knows about w- that they get all this federal money. 
Yeah, and I, th- I guess maybe to the average Oklahoman, they might have just thought they're used to hearing about budget cuts and agencies saying that they're going to lay off or cut programs. So I, I'm. It was interesting because I'm not sure how alarming it was initially to just the average, you know, Oklahoman. Um, but you say, you know, people in state government, this was kind of an alarming situation. Yeah, I mean, if you're just, you know, most people they don't, you know, know that the State Department of Health gets sixty percent of its funding from the federal government, but. If if you're in state, if you're in state government, if you're a legislator or something like that, then you, then you probably know this. Then you and people are going like, "Hey, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. This isn't. This has nothing to do with the the budget crisis at the state capitol." And so um, last week there was an emergency meeting at the at the state board of health, and they they uh, kicked out the state health commissioner Terry Klein. There's um, been several. Well, he officially he resigned, and then there's been several other um, high ranking employees there ha- that have resigned, and then we find out that um, they're uh, about thirty million dollars short of where they need to meet just to make payroll for the rest of the year. So they're in, a, in a, an emergency situation. Yeah, it's they've, a, they've run out of money. It's not, it's not an exaggeration or overly dramatic to call it a crisis. I don't think. Yeah. So what what was the cause of this? I mean, we're talking about. Uh, I mean, you wrote, um, you know, yesterday in a story that uh, um, the interim commissioner Preston Dorflinger is saying that it looks like the books were essentially wrong, uh, that they showed that we had money when we really didn't in this agency. I mean, you just it looks like he came just short of saying these were fraudulent books. The books were cooked. I mean, what, what was the cause of this? So um, the way Preston Dorflinger described it, and, and I'm sure they're discovering new stuff as, you know, probably as we're speaking, but um, – so there's all these different funds, different pots of grant money from the federal government and things. And, and those funds are supposed to be used for, like, specific purposes. But they weren't doing that. They were, like, borrowing against funds, like, like – um, and they were moving, you know, one pot of money to pay for something that it was never intended to pay for um, – uh, in, and yeah, in in some cases, uh, financial statements were were misstated. Yeah, and I think that's becoming more and more clear. Has there been any kind of accusation towards individuals, or at least that? Um, I mean, this was an intention. These were intentional moves, right? I mean, this wasn't just an accounting error. I mean, as you said, these are, I mean, intentionally moving money around or inflating how much is in an account uh, to make it look like you have money when you when you really don't. Yes, yes, they were borrowing money from one source and and shifting it to another source and then like paying it back or and then like changing the books to make it look like they had a balanced budget when that wasn't true. So yeah, there was some intentional there was perp- it was purposeful. I I there haven't been names named. Um no one will say whether there's been um, any evidence of criminal activity found, although um, the, AG, the AG's office is investigating now. Yeah. And this is kind of, you know, from, from politically speaking, this has kind of put a wrinkle in the, the political dialogue because you've had, you have some members as, as the legislature has been debating, 
you know, whether or not to increase taxes to fulfill budget holes that you've had some that say you're pointing to the situation saying this is what we especially some Republican lawmakers are saying this is proof that our agencies uh, are not just wasting money, but in some ways may be corrupt. I mean, I've heard that word thrown around. Yeah, um, it just really it could what what has happened at the health department really couldn't come at a worse time. And multiple people have said that over the past few days. It's it's not good. Yeah. And so you said the AG's office is uh, is performing an investigation. What what does that look like right now? Well, the AG's office won't comment on any of this. The reason why we know they're investigating is because um, there was an an audit that was being done by the state auditor Gary Jones of the health department's books, basically, and. Last week, a letter was sent from the AG's office saying, we're putting this audit under our purview. So basically, there's a statute on, on the books that says that the, um, the AG's office, if they're investigating, as part of an investigation, they can, they can have the state auditor supply them with like an auditor to like look into finances and things like that. So it's clear they're investigating something. The AG's office won't, won't say what they're doing. Yeah. And so they've been pretty tight-lipped about that, about any, you know, has there been any kind of indication whether, um, you know, from from Dorflinger or any, you know, board members that there's a, there's, there's a suspecting that there was, I mean, once again, I mean, this has obviously been intentional. I mean, these mm-hmm. were not just, you know, mistakes. Um, has there been any kind of indication that they're, that they're going to look after individuals? I mean, do you get the impression that, you know, someone is going to take the fall for this, that they, that they're going, that they're, they're going to, you know, you know, find find a find a culprit. I mean, we saw, uh, you know, the former commissioner Terry Klein resign, um, you know, and and the board was quick to accept that resignation. So, uh, you know, I'm you know not trying to throw accusation at him, but mm-hmm. he, but they obviously felt it was in the best interest to uh, um, to, to part ways. Um, his second in command, Julie Cox Kane, I think, uh, played a large role in um, the finances of the health department. I've, I've heard her name a lot. She also resigned along with Terry Klein. Um, but yeah, it, everyone that I have asked is, you know, is there going to be criminal charges coming out of this? Is there evidence of illegal activity? They've either said we, we can't say at this time or uh, we, we can't promise there can't be, there won't be basically. So it's, I think it's still early. And I think, like I said before, I think they're probably still uncovering stuff as the days go on about the health department's very complex finances. Yeah. And so finally, I mean, from interim commissioner Dorflinger, I mean, what's kind of been his messages to the message to the agency? I mean, now he's kind of charged with his agency and their employees, which is uh, during a, a really troubled time. So I snuck into an employee meeting last week I just kind of walked in and um, what he he is all about, he he's his message that he is, um, you know, giving to people at the health department is he was going to be all about transparency and, you know, kind of opening the lines between commu- of communication between him and the employees like they they set up like an anonymous web portal where people can report things that they don't think are, are right that have been going on at the agency and 
Um, I think they they got over like a hundred tips within the oh. first day or something like that. So people eager to share. So you yeah. said, well, let's say about you said you you kind of walked into a, a, a snuck into an employee meeting. So this was kind of an, an internal meeting. Just I'm just kind of curious, what was that? So you you go to the agency building and or did you know that there was a meeting going on? Well, usually the the funny thing is the health department their their security there is ridiculously tight. Like every time I had to go there for an interview, you like it's like going to the airport. Like you have to go through a metal detector, you have to show your ID. But this meeting was held off site, so there's no way I would have been able to just walk in the health department and go. But um, the the employee meeting was held at a at an uh, an old school auditorium, like a few blocks away mm-hmm. from the health department. So there was just all these employees walking in. You know, they have hundreds and hundreds of employees over by the state capitol. And so I just walked in with them all. And, you know, no one's, like, checking IDs or anything. You know, if you just act like you belong there and walk in, nobody's going to say, hey, you don't look like you work at the health department. And so I just sat down and I, I listened. Yeah. What was the what was the mood of, of the employees around you? I mean, I was, they're listening, but uh, was there any kind of feedback, or did you just kind of get a general sense of the of the mood and emotions of the meeting? Um, I think people were kind of relieved that there was new leadership, and the leadership was being open with them about what what had happened, and and um, because at, at one point, one employee asked Preston Dorflinker uh, point blank, like, you know, how much money. Are we, you know, short? How much money do we need that isn't just isn't there anymore? And he said about thirty million dollars, and people clapped. Like some, the woman said, "Thank you for being honest with us," mm. because I think that was the first time anyone had told them, and everyone applauded. Do like even it, have a figure like that? Yeah, because I think there was just a lot of people at the health department knew something bad was coming, and I think it was a very stressful situation to be working there. Um, people kind of vented at the meeting, you know, they passed around like a microphone and one woman said, yeah, I've started drinking more. Um, one woman said like, uh, you know, I'm so worried I'm going to have to travel for work. I have to go on the road and my gas card is just going to stop working cause we've run out of money. And so it was a lot of stuff like that. Like it, it just must've been an incredibly stressful situation to work in to, you know, know that you're employee your employer is going to run out of money like just run out of money at some point and you might not get paid yeah already for probably an already stressful uh profession uh, for many yeah. for many of those positions especially many of them that are, are, are have very low salaries mm-hmm. uh, we, we talk quite a bit about teacher salaries and state employees are also um paid some of the lowest in the nation so if you're already a, a, a low paid worker that takes a lot out of you and a, a job that takes a lot out of you and you have to worry about, um, you know, whether or not you even have money on the gas card. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it would probably lead some to, to want to drink, <laughs> want a stronger drink at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, Brianna Bailey uh, uh, of the Oklahoman has been on, on top of this issue and has had several stories over the last week, really, since man, it seems like I almost said a couple weeks. It was just last week that the news broke, right, of that meeting. It seems like it, it's been longer Right. Um, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to kind of continuing to follow your coverage. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us today. Okay, thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Political State Podcast from The Oklahoman. For The Oklahoman, I'm Ben Felder. We will join you again next week.